the episode you are about to hear was created prior to our rebranding to Foul Play. If you have any information on any of our cases, you can visit us at itsfoulplay.com. Kathy was probably moved. And I think if it happened, it happened right after Jean was shown Kathy's body. If you remember Sharon Schmidt saying that her dad said, do you want to know why I drink? Because we killed a woman and put her behind the shop. I know a lot of you have been over there and we're not encouraging you to go over there. But behind the shop backs up to railroad track. And I think that now Interstate 95 also crosses there. So please do not go walking across that railroad track. I don't want to feel bad if any of you get killed by a train. Because you can't get to the part of Monumental where Kathy was found from the shop side. So you would need to go around the other way. If she was left behind the shop, it's possible that Jean may have been taken to a wooded area there. And then... Perhaps Maskell panicked and thought, this is just supposition. What if Jean brings somebody back here? You know, Jean's got brothers, her dad's a cop. She could have remembered and taken someone back there. And then Maskell's goose is cooked right away because she could have exposed them all. I believe that he moved, he had Kathy moved. My, again, theory, which I have no evidence to prove this, is that perhaps what Brian Schmidt's story of uh, Skippy and Billy getting a blanket or a rug out of the nun's apartment, it's possible that that happened like weeks after when everything died down and it wasn't like, you know, swarming with cops and looky-loos. It's possible that they could have either broken in to the sister's apartment when Russell wasn't there, could have been while she was at school. It's possible they could have picked the lock. Maybe they had a key. They were neighbors. My neighbor has my key. I have all my neighbor's keys. So let's say they got in. A blanket would not be as noticeable missing as a rug would be. If they went in and took a rug off the floor, somebody's going to notice that. A blanket out of a closet, not so much. And think about why they might do that. If they took a blanket out of their own apartment, whose fibers and crumbs and, and hairs are going to be all over it? Well, this one would have had Kathy and Russell's. 
So they were not rocket scientists, but they were thinking ahead. It is possible that they may have taken a blanket out to where Kathy was and put her in that blanket and moved her to the spot where she was found. I'll also add another major reason why bodies are moved after they're killed in a certain place is for that very reason, because it's less, it's much less likely that you'll find evidence of the killer compared to a place where they just strangled and did whatever to someone. So are you saying that if a body is found where that person was murdered, the crime scene is going to give you more evidence yes. about what happened. Yes. Rather than, let's say, a blanket or a sheet, the person is rolled up in it, moved without being exposed, and put somewhere, and that's it. Yeah, so if they're aware of evidence, which we believe that police were involved, so I'm sure they would have been aware of this, if they're going to go into Sister Kathy's apartment to get a blanket, to ensure that their own fibers is not a part of this crime scene, mm -hmm. wherever they're going to dump her, mm -hmm. then I can foresee that the reason they're doing that is because of an evidence reason. Okay. So that would also fit on why they're moving her body. For example, if someone were to, here we are in your kitchen, mm -hmm. if someone were to be killed here, that person is likely focused on the act of killing. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily on, I need to make sure my hair doesn't get put on this floor. It's, and it would take a lot to clean up a space and to, to, to ensure that stuff's not found. It's much easier to get a blanket from her apartment that would only have her fibers mm -hmm. or Russell's fibers, move her to another location, and then use that location as the, as the dumping point. Right. Yeah. So all of that fits. Sure, and if she was actually originally in a wooded area that they moved her from, that would be almost impossible to find that area in the right. woods, right? If right. nothing's there anymore. Right. And because um, there's indication that perhaps both Edgar and Billy Schmidt were involved, their DNA would definitely have been found at the murder scene and so if they were involved in moving her and they used something from the nun's apartment, it wouldn't be as likely. Right. Correct. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. I'll also add two things. One, you've seen in the keepers where Kathy's body was found. Mm -hmm. It is private property. The people that own it have been bothered a lot by people stopping and trying to get into the woods. So please do not go to the property do not go to the property Two, Gemma mentioned the box girl just to make sure that you are aware of the box girl episodes Gemma and I worked together on those episodes prior to this series it wasn't long after the keepers were out was out uh, it was basically about basically we were following up on a lead so we, we call it the box girl because a, a lady said that she had a box of information so you can still find that episode uh, in the in the feed of the podcast very early on last year. If if you need help finding that, you'll find it on our podcast's page. Along with my apology for putting the whole world to work, because I am not easily duped. 
But whoever scammed us with that story did their homework on this case so well and knew so much that I just happened to say something about, well, what was the lady's husband's name? And right away, the girl I was talking to said Edgar. She didn't bring it up. I asked his name. If you listen to the podcast, you'll understand what happened and why the person did it. A lot of people were hurt, in addition to some of the people who lived in that same state who were not sure who we were or what we were doing. So instead of asking a lot of questions now, please go back and listen to those two episodes. Right, right. I, if anybody out there is a, a script writer... I would love to write with you. This would make a really outstanding movie made for TV, and I'm serious right. about that. Right. All right. So going back to Father Maskell, this is, of course, after Kathy was found in January of 1970. We know that between 1970 and 75, Maskell lived, and he assisted at St. Clement, Clemens. Is it Clements? Clements with a T. St. Clements while he was still serving at Keogh. For some reason, some people believe that he was removed immediately following Kathy's bodies be- being found. However, that's not the case. He was there until, uh, was it 1975? Correct. We think Lee was the reason that he was removed from Keogh. Right, right. right. And again, if you didn't hear that episode, go back and listen to it. Just because it will, I think that it will help clarify things. Absolutely. Oh, I will add one more thing. In 1972, we know that he earned a master's degree in school psychology from Towson State University. Then he earned a a certificate of advanced study in counseling from the John Hopkins University. To add also, we know that from things that we've heard, when he was removed from Keogh, didn't the principal tell him he had 15 minutes to get his things and get out? That is one of the... Uh, urban legends. However, I have a friend, I have lots of friends now, I have a friend who told us that she had lunch with that nun around the time the Keepers was coming out and that that sister said that didn't happen. She was not the reason that Maskell was moved from uh, Keogh and that that might have been a cover story because Shane and I really believe, as does Lee, that in Lee reporting the abuse to Reverend Francis Maluli at the end of that school year, which was 1975, Maskell was taken out of Keogh. So Maluli, quote, did fix it, but moved him to the Catholic Center, which is the headquarters of the Archdiocese downtown which I've heard is also called pedophile central because that's where the pedophile priests are placed after the archdiocese gets sick of moving around. They put him right in the same building with the archbishop or the bishop to keep an eye on them. So Maskell was with the division of schools in that building at the Catholic Center for five years. And during that time, he had access to foster children. Part of his job was to evaluate foster children for the organization called Catholic Charities to determine their placement in foster homes. Yeah, I know. 
So we also know that there were some young people, teenagers from one of the local Catholic high schools who were getting like work credits for doing filing and helping Maskell in that office at the division of schools who quit because they said he was so weird. So I don't know whose idea it was to put him with the most vulnerable population you can imagine, which is foster kids. He also had access to probably anywhere he wanted to go in the archdiocese. And we know during that time that that's when he showed up at the Catholic Community Middle School and was part of the evaluation of the young man that reported John Mersbacher and the principal, Sister Eileen Weissman, as having a sexual relationship. Maskell evaluated, quote, evaluated that young man. He was 12 years old. He was in the seventh grade. He was terrified, he told me, and made sure that young man was sent to a residential mental hospital. Sometimes I am speechless. Between 1980 and 1982, we know that Maskell served at Annunciation. We had never heard of any abuse situations at Annunciation. We have been diligent and have used all of you as our resources and have found that there was indeed abuse at every parish where Maskell was assigned. But we thought it was really an anomaly that we couldn't find any evidence at Annunciation. And what we found out, thanks to Alan Horn, was that a man came forward and said that he was part of either the Boy Scout troop or the altar boy group, and that he had indeed been abused by Maskell in the rectory at Annunciation. And we've learned in the last five years that it's much more difficult for men to come forward when they've been abused by another male because of that uh, stigma of homosexuality, which has nothing to do with pedophilia. But this young man came forward and said that the whole group of boys was abused and that they were not comfortable coming forward, but that Maskell would invite, and I'm sorry, I don't know if it was the, I think it was the altar boys. They would be invited to the rectory on Friday nights to watch movies and Maskell would take them one at a time upstairs to his quarters. And I guess, you know, we know what happened there. So that pretty much tells us why we didn't get reports of abuse from that parish because it was young boys and one of them was the one that came forward and told us that they were all abused by him. Between 1982 and October of 1992, we know that Father Maskell was the pastor at Holy Cross Parish. We also know that in 1990, that's when the whole fiasco came about buried documents in Holy Cross. Is that correct? That's correct. Also, we have noted that we have a police report from 1989 that states that Maskell complained that a family threatened him, saying that their mother's body had not been buried where it's supposed to be in Holy Cross. And there was a story that came forward about Maskell may have been reselling cemetery plots. Mm -hmm. I can address that. That was Abby's she worked so hard on that. She found a family that she found the police report 
the family did indeed charge him because the mother of the family had been buried and when they came back to visit the grave she was not there she had been moved um i guess the headstone was moved somewhere else and when they um you know when they sought answers for that he told them that he needed that plot for something else so my suspicion is that there's other stuff buried there um i don't think bodies of missing people but i do think that there are documents buried there if you remember dr lee richmond talked to him on the phone one day and he said he was digging in the cemetery i think there were a lot of things buried there because we've heard stories of graves not being where they were supposed to be or of him reassigning headstones so um boy i w sure wish we had a like a sonogram so we can see what's under the ground there at holy cross but i have a feeling there's a lot of stuff that that joseph maskell left behind if there's anyone out there that has ground penetrating radar we would love to meet with you <laughs> or if you're if you have relatives that are buried there please go over there and make sure that they're still their headstones are still where you know they're supposed to be buried. Right. We even know of abuse that happened in that cemetery with the daughter of, of someone who was being buried there. So in 1990, we know that is the time period when Masker was burying those documents in Holy Cross. From news reports, we know that multiple pickup truck loads of boxes, they were buried with the help from another man who we know as... Mr. Story. Mr. Story. Correct which just to add a little bit, the next couple episodes, we will be doing an episode of, about the burial and the documents and the things that were coming from that, which includes a video, which right. is gonna be cool. So you're gonna have the opportunity to see something that was not in the Keepers because we didn't know it existed until after the Keepers aired. Right, which includes Mr. Story talking. Correct, I didn't realize that. correct, yep. All right, so in January of 1991, that is when cemetery caretaker who helped bury the documents, who we know as Mr. Story, that's when he was fired by Holy Cross. Correct. What happened was that Mr. Story, who was the groundskeeper for the Holy Cross Cemetery, lived on the property. There's an old white house there. He had eight children. And again, we respect their privacy. They do not live there anymore. They do not want to be bothered. We respect that. This has been really traumatic for everybody involved. What I can tell you is that Maskell hired him to dig a hole. Look around your, your houses. The hole was 12 by 12 by 10. That's the size of a bedroom. And three truckloads of boxes and trash bags were delivered and dumped in that hole and Maskell instructed Mr. Story to fill it in and plant it with grass seed so that nobody would ever know it had been disturbed. Now this is not in an obvious place in the cemetery. It's not in the any place where the keepers filmed. They went back later and found the spot. It's very difficult to get to. It's way back on a fire road. Please do not go over there. You're going to get stuck. My Jeep got all scratched up and got stuck in the dirt and ruts. And please don't do it. Anyway, Deep Throat, who is 
an officer who helped us with this whole story, Mr. Story got in touch with him and told him what happened and that he had buried everything. And in between two of the truckloads, Mr. Story took some of the materials and looked at them. And they were pictures of young women without their tops on. So with that, Deep Throat figured, well, we could get Maskell on child pornography. So he and his partner went to church where Maskell was saying mass, and they found out which mass he was going to say, and they went to that one, and a different priest came out on the altar. And Deep Throat went up to communion, and instead of saying body of Christ, the priest said he went out the back door. So the officers left. They had a warrant to search his room. They found guns, but no pornography. So back to the cemetery, Deep Throat reports that all this stuff is buried. Mr. Story had been blackmailing Maskell, and Maskell didn't want him to tell, but then Maskell fired him. So of course Story's going to tell the police. So... The archdiocese shows up, the police shows up, Mr. Story shows up, reporters. It's like all hell breaks loose over there one day. They dig up the stuff. And what you are going to see on the Facebook page for Out of the Shadows is a videotape of the stuff that was in the hole or the last few pieces of it. What we did was we took that video and I had a couple of folks I was working with among all of you who were kind enough to help. One of them was a photographer. Her name is Jessie. And she was a very wise person and knew what she was doing. She was able to enlarge the still pictures of what was in the hole. She contacted the American Psychological Association. We found out that those documents were indeed psychology tests and personality tests that Maskell was not authorized to administer. Uh, you can read some of the scores. You can see parts of signatures, nobody specific. Also in the whole, we were able to see the directory of all the families who would have been part of Holy Cross Church. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but you know we had like a directory of everybody that was in the parish. So um, what it illustrates is that Maskell was indeed administering tests he was not authorized to administer, probably skewing the results. Some of the questions were bizarre, like, how open are you to suggestion? Have you ever been hypnotized? Uh, is it hard for you to trust people? So he took all this information, he was giving this, the freshmen these tests, Thank God I was already a sophomore or junior, or I would have had to take it. And he was picking out his prey, which, yes, it's disgusting, but that's how he found a lot of girls by reading the results of those tests. So that's a lot of what was in the cemetery. I don't know where all that is. We were told, now three truckloads is a lot, that it was all taken to uh, police headquarters, the Holy Cross Cemetery is in, I believe it's in Anne Arundel County on, on Ritchie Highway, but the parish is in Baltimore City. 
So it's a little confusing about where everything ended up. We were told it was destroyed in a flood in an evidence room. If evidence is damaged in a flood, it has to be destroyed because it's not authentic. A different story I heard was that all of that evidence, now it was underground in plastic bags for two years and wasn't destroyed. So I would say those bags might have been fairly waterproof. This is just like Gemma, the, you know, wannabe private eye. But if <laughs> it survived, yeah, if it survived underground for two years, you know, maybe a flood wouldn't have damaged it. Anyway, also told that it was moved in storage containers to Fort Meade, where the FBI keeps materials. And then in the last month, I heard that it had been moved not there, but to Fort Hollibird, which is in Dundalk in Baltimore City, which actually might make more sense. So right now, we have no idea if anybody has connections or wants to do some research and reach out to the people that are in charge of the storage containers at either of those Army bases, we would love to have your help. In 1992, that is when the Doe Row case came up. And of course, everyone should be already familiar with the Doe Row case. We know that between October 1992 and April of 1993, Father Maskell was sent to a psychiatric hospital in Connecticut, where he was there for just under six months. The place was called the Institute of Living. They evaluated him and deemed him, quote, able to return to ministry. In January 1993, to be exact, January 10th, 1993, Father Maskell's mother dies. Maskell starts to hand, handle the selling of her home, and he is blaming her death on the scandal from the Doe Row case. Just a little side fact that I thought was very interesting. March 18th, 1994, Maskell was in charge, as I mentioned, of, sell, of selling his mother's home so the home closes the home sale closes the buyer reports when they purchase the home that the home contents were all just dumped in a big dumpster and when they were looking in the dumpster they found a tv which had a hoard of cash inside that's interesting well and that gentleman that bought that house told me that when the dumpster when the tv was put in the dumpster they couldn't get the lid down on the dumpster so when they pushed it, it kind of jarred the TV, and he said the cash flew out into the street all around the dumpster, which was like, who knows? So his mom was putting her cash inside the television set. Right. So in December of 1994, that is when the cemetery pit was dug up that Gemma just mentioned. So that's just that date. Another interesting fact, August of 1994... Father Maskell actually returned to the Institute of Living for his own request. Now, there's a story that a Baltimore City police tried to arrest him in a church at St. Augustine mm -hmm. during Mass. Right. Maskell ran out back and fled, but there's also a newspaper story that says that he had asked the Archdiocese if he could just go back to the Institute of Living for anxiety from the scandal. So again, he's blaming the scandal from the Doe Row case on his need to go back to the Institute of Living. Toward the end of 1994, Maskell was placed on administrative leave. 
And that means he would have been removed from St. Augustine's. That's when Dr. Lee went to see Maskell and saw that he had written about abuse of children, and she suddenly realized that he had been pretty much duping her all through their friendship. In October of 1995, Father Maskell started living with Robert Hawkins, who was the pastor of St. Rita's. Correct. Do you know anything about that? Yes. This was after the whole cemetery dig thing was over, and he was sort of hiding out at St. Rita's. Father Hawkins protected him. Some people have suggested that Father Hawkins, Robert Hawkins, was Brother Bob. That's not likely. Father Hawkins was a parish priest who pretty much, you know, kept kept to the St. Rita's Parish in Dundalk, but he certainly did protect Maskell, and it was during that time that Maskell saw Lieutenant Skinnell very often because St. Rita's in that area in Dundalk is very close to the uh, police station and the fire station where he could have been hanging out with law enforcement guys. In May of 1995, the Doe Row case versus Maskell and everyone else that was involved, which was the Sisterhood of Notre Dame, right? School Sisters of Notre Dame. That's it. Mm-hmm. And also the OBGYN. You mean who was charged? Who was all a part of that okay. case. Okay. Archbishop Keogh High School, the School Sisters of Notre Dame, the Archdiocese of Baltimore, the Archbishop, Dr. Christian Richter, and Reverend Joseph Maskell. In May of 1995, the motion for the trial was dismissed. Sound right? Correct. On a technicality, that was because the retrieval of repressed memory was not admissible in court at that time. And although Jean had remembered it, Within the last three years, it had happened a long time before that, and so it was thrown out. That wouldn't happen today. In 1998, we know that Maskell returned from Ireland to the U.S. We believe that he was in Ireland from 1995 to 1998. Correct. And we also know from some Irish newspapers, and we're hoping to be able to talk to some of those writers, that he set up a private counseling office in Wexford and was uh, working with, I believe, addiction, uh, addictions for children and children who have been abused. And the town had no idea what his background was. Now, at one point, he requested to be a part of a certain priest order because he had been relieved of his priestly faculties here in the United States, and they needed to know where he came from. So when they contacted the Baltimore Archdiocese, they found out what his history was. There is no, uh, what is it called when somebody comes from, is arrested and brought back to another country? Extradited? Right. There's no extradition between Ireland and the United States. So there was no way we could have arrested him and had them send him back. But because he asked to to join this order of priests, he kind of gave himself away, and they sent him back. When Maskell returned in 1998, Mm -hmm. we know from a source that he was living at Little Sisters of the Poor place. Correct. Until he had a stroke, and then he went to Stella Maris nursing home, which is in Towson. Right. That's where Lil Hughes Knit went to see him in a red suit under the premise that she was 
you know, looking at finding a place for her, somebody in her family. And she is the one that said she just wanted to make sure it was him. And she said he had dementia. He was like sort of not there. And a lot of you have written and said, well, maybe he got a lobotomy and maybe this happened. We have no evidence of that. But frankly, late 50s is very young to have the kind of stroke he did that, you know, took his took his mind away. Not that any of us are upset about that, but it is unusual. On May 7th, 2001, we know that Father Maskell died at St. Joseph Hospital. We have that he died of pneumonia, of heart failure, and a heart attack. Correct. And coincidentally, St. Joseph's Hospital is the same hospital where Maskell was taking Keo students for what was billed to insurance as a D and C. And we know now that those procedures were done after hours by Dr. Christian Richter. And we would really like to talk to anybody who worked at St. Joseph's at that time, either nursing or in some other capacity. And if there's anybody who feels the need to talk about if they were one of those survivors that was taken there for a medical procedure and would like us to help them find out more, please let us know. You can message me. You can message Shane. Um, we're both, both pretty easy to find, but that is an area that the Attorney General very much would like to investigate. Richard Wolf is talking to anybody who is an abuse survivor of clergy, and that would include if you were taken to see Christian Richter by Joseph Maskell or had a surgical procedure done by Richter that you don't understand what it was or why it happened. We have a lot of survivors who have come forth that were very young and are trying to remember why they were there, what happened, and we know that what could have been early abortions were billed to insurance as a surgical procedure called a D and C. So we really need you guys to help us out with this. We're still digging and we still need uh, to be crowdsourcing because you've been amazing. And I don't know how we would have gotten this far without everybody all over the world helping. Something else to note, in 2001 when Father Maskell died, several survivors went to the funeral home, which was named in his obituary, because they, want, they wanted to confirm with their own eyes that he was dead. But when they went to the funeral home, he wasn't there. Right. He was actually at a different one. When Maskell died, he was listed as being lying in state at Brooks in Towson near Baltimore. And I've talked to one woman who went there and was told he's not here. He's at another funeral home in Dundalk. Now, those two places are not even close. That's a 45-minute ride. So we were trying to determine if maybe Brooks knew who he was and didn't want to have, like, a riot in the parking lot at the funeral home of all the people that he had ever hurt, or maybe it was designed that way to make it hard for people to find him. But the woman I spoke with she did. She went down to Dundalk. She went to the funeral home where he was. She said she walked in. 
Uh, he was laid out in his priestly vestments, and the only person there was his sister. She felt like his sister was really happy to see somebody that had come, and she said all she really wanted to do was to make sure he was dead. So she looked at him. He was dead. She said there was a huge cross hanging over him, and she thought to herself, well, now he has to answer to his maker. survivor. I am a survivor. My deceased aunt, a former nun, was a survivor from clergy abuse. I am a survivor. 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 Hi, I am a survivor. 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 Hi, everybody. This is Gemma Hoskins and Shane Waters. If you are a survivor of abuse and would like to say these words out loud for the world to hear for the first time or the hundredth time, please give us a call at 812-727-4528. And leave a voicemail saying, I am a survivor. Again, it's 812-727-4528. And you guys know you're not alone.